0: So today, I'd like to talk to you about infant state. I'm going to talk about human and chimpanzee infants. Uh, We know that human infants have a variety of different states. I wanted to talk both about those things that we think of as physiological states of an individual and those things that we think of as engagement states. So I'm going to talk about both. In the newborn period, we're going to talk about um, infants, chimpanzee and human infants, from birth to about 30 days of age. And in the dyadic engagement states, we're gonna talk about infants from one week to four months. And I really would like to be able to talk about the other things, but I'm not going to today. So the question I'm going to be asking throughout the talk is what makes us human? Is it something about states? Um, So we're gonna be comparing chimpanzee and human infants And our goal is to actually see if we can identify maybe human-unique states or if the state exists in both chimpanzees or humans. We're going to look to see if there's a human-unique level of that state. So we're going to talk about two physiological states, arousal and regulation, and four different engagement states. So um, the neonatal states we assessed both in the chimpanzee and the human with the Brazelton Scale or the Neonatal Behavioral Assessment Scale. It's about 25-minute-long test. Starts off with infants asleep. Um, I gave you a picture of Chimp asleep. Um, assesses some motor items and then some orientation items. This is T. Barry Brazelton, the organizer or the developer of this test. Um, some reflexive items are relatively intrusive, so infants have high arousal and some chimpanzees sort that arousal with uh, sucking their thumb when they're in a nursery situation. Um, So we had four different groups of chimpanzee newborns. I don't really want to spend too much time telling you about what makes the different groups different. Three of them were nursery-raised, and what really differs is the amount of contact and the type of contact they had with humans. Uh, So in this nursery, um, all the humans had masks to protect the infants and themselves from any possible contagion. Um, and the two groups at the Yerkes Center, one of them had four hours a day in which researchers were training, were helping the chimpanzees learn chimpanzee species' typical skills. And they're compared um, with one group of mother-raised chimpanzees. Uh, Halleck, Self, and Warby borrowed infants twice during the neonatal period from their biological mothers and gave them a Brazelton test. What's important here is that all of these nursery-reared chimpanzees don't have cradling contact very much with people, um, but these infants raised with their biological mothers have 100% of the time in cradling contact. So those four groups of chimpanzee infants are compared primarily with one group of human infants, and these are um, from the United States, from the East Coast, actually from Providence, Rhode Island, almost all Caucasian and middle class. But from the literature, we can pull two other groups of human infants just to add some variety, maybe, um, with what we see in newborn behavior. Um, so this is uh, data that Tronic and Wynn collected um, from the FA. Uh, what's important for the purposes of what I'm gonna talk about today is that these infants all experience, experienced 100% cradling contact with somebody not necessarily the mother. And um, a group of infants that Chisholm studied that are Native Americans, and they actually experienced in the first 30 days of life um, not being held, but being in a cradle board. So they had um, lots of vestibular stimulation, um, lots of contact with people, but not cradling contact. So we're gonna look to see if we can find anything species unique. Um, which we might expect if the human group or groups are distinct from the chimpanzee groups um, because there's seven million years of evolutionary history um, since they shared a common ancestor. Um, And we might be able to see these human unique um, characteristics shortly after birth. So the other option that's if we don't see species unique behavior is we might see a species-by-environment interaction. Sounds complex, but it really isn't. For instance, we could have one group of chimpanzees, the mother-raised chimpanzees, be have data that are unique from the other groups. And it might be because this group has no exposure to humans, where these groups all do. Um, alternatively, we could have the all the nursery-raised chimpanzees be distinct from the mother-raised chimpanzees and from the humans. And it could be because... Infants from high-cradling cultures are different from infants living in low-cradling cultures. So I'm going to tell you about two items primarily from the Brazelton test. Um, First is range of state, which is arousal. Uh, Items in this cluster measure how aroused infants get or how easily they get aroused. But I'm really only going to tell you about one of them, Peak of Excitement. So, in order to talk about how aroused they get, we need to know what it looks like for a chimpanzee newborn to be aroused. So the first one is fussy. (laughs) Sweetheart, there you go, that's a boy, that's a boy. Which um, scientists sometimes call state five. Um, It's got a characteristic facial expression of the pouted lips and this characteristic vocalization, but um, it's seen in the same context as human infants fuss. Um, and the second thing you need to know is a state six or a crying state. This is at the end of the exam when the more intrusive reflex items are um, elicited, and this is the Moro reflex. Thanks. Watch at the air and often complain. sure nobody has any difficulty understanding that. So this item measures how aroused they get, fussiness or crying, and how long they stay that aroused. So. A little bit of data. At two days of age and 30 days of age, the U.S. humans are significantly more aroused than the two groups of Yerkes nursery-raised chimpanzees. This this might be what we'd look for if we found a species difference. But let's add the other groups first. So the mother-raised chimpanzees are just as aroused as the U.S. human infants and the other group of nursery-raised chimpanzees are less aroused. So it's clearly not a species difference. There's an interaction between environmental factors and species factors. If it's due to cradling, like we said before that the nursery-raised chimps don't have as much cradling, then we might expect a difference between the the literature from the two other groups. Um, We'd expect the FA, who have 100% cradling contact, to be up here, and the Native American infants that are raised in a cradleboard to be as aroused as the nursery-raised chimpanzees. And that's exactly what we see. So it looks like the level of arousal is partially due to the amount of cradling contact that infants experience. So we're looking to see if we have a human-specific state. Arousal, no, we don't. Is there a human-specific level of that state? No, that's not true either. We can't say that humans tend to have more higher arousal or that chimpanzees tend to have a low arousal because it depends on what ways they're raised. So we have to say that if an ape or a human infant experiences a lot of cradling contact, then they tend to show high arousal. But if an ape or a human newborn experiences relatively little cradling contact, then they tend to be low in their arousal. Um, so the second item I want to tell you about from the Brazelton for newborns is self-quieting. It's part of um, the state regulation cluster, excuse me, that measures infants' coping. When they're aroused, how well do they deal with that arousal to lower their arousal to get back into a quiet, alert state? So this is Wilson at 30 days of age. He's just been laid on his back. Fussy vocalizations, fussy face, trying to hold on to his hands, which he would find calming, but not quite able to do it. That's enough. Um, What happens is that the examiner now steps in and starts a process of consoling him, but that's a different item, so I don't want to tell you about that. (laughs) It only lasts 15 seconds at the most for their fussiness before you step in. Uh, Next slide, please. So this is the data just from two groups. Uh, The U.S. humans are able to quiet themselves maybe once for about 15 seconds during a Brazelton test at two days and 30 days of age. Um, the nursery-reared chimpanzees at Yerkes in the responsive care are better than that, about two successes in the 24-minute test. Um, oh, self-quieting ability. How many times and for how long are they able to self-quiet? So all the nursery-raised chimpanzees are better than the U.S. humans, but the mother-raised chimpanzees are significantly less able to quiet themselves than the U.S. humans. So, again, this looks like an interaction between species and environmental characteristics. So, we have the supportive evidence from the other cultures. Um, The Native American infants are better at self-quieting in the first week of life, and the F.A are less good than the U.S. humans. So we have variety in both the humans and then the chimpanzees. So again, if we're looking for human-specific state regulation, it's not in the first 30 days of life. And it tends to vary, again, with cradling contact that infants actually experience. So now let's talk about the dyadic engagement states. The first one's gonna be neonatal imitation. Um, so neonatal imitation is a dyadic state of engagement in which infants are shown demonstrations of tongue protrusions or mouth openings. In humans, the third one here is lip protrusion. And in chimpanzees, we gave them a tongue click sequence. Some people say that the ability to imitate as a newborn is due to an active, innate, intermodal matching that might even be mediated by mental representation. Others say that infants are born intersubjective, ready to communicate, ready to engage reciprocally with social partners. So we tested two-week-old chimpanzees. We were looking um, in two different paradigms. One's a very communicative paradigm where we held the infants and timed our modeling and responses to them. The other's a very structured paradigm in which the modeling was done according to time. And we're looking to see infants' mouth openings, if they matched the model, and infants' tongue protrusions, and if they match the model. I'm going to bore you with a lot of details, but just to say that they did, in fact, match mouth openings, MOs, and tongue protrusions, TPs. And in the communicative paradigm, they matched tongue clicks, maybe not the sound as much as the sequence of three actions. And we found significantly more neonatal imitation in the communicative paradigm than in the structured paradigms, which suggests that it's following the same uh, function as we find in human infants of allowing infants to reciprocally um, interact with social partners. So chimpanzee newborns, like human newborns, enter the world ready to engage and they're responsive socially and emotionally with a similar intersubjective process that enables imitation of facial actions. Um, so, he, neonatal imitation is not specific to humans, it's not unique to humans, but we still don't know very much about the extent of flexibility in chimpanzee newborns. Ah, audience participation time. Which of these is the chimpanzee smile? How many people say A? How many people say B? Interesting. Well, neither answer is wrong. It depends on what you mean by a smile. <laughs> So, A is is sometimes called a fear grin or a a bare teeth display, and B is called a play face. So, you can play this video over to the side. Thanks. Um, So, if we focus on the morphological similarity to a human smile, then we'd say this fear grin, then the fear grin would be a smile. But... Given this facial expression, if you think that you can tickle a chimpanzee, you're likely to get your finger bit because this expression is associated with underlying emotion of fear, distress, and high arousal. But if we focus on the emotion, which is what a lot of you are doing, joy or happiness, then the play face is equivalent to an infant smile because they're seen in the same context, under the same situations, And you can provoke laughter, given the infant smiling um, with a play face, by 37 days of age on average. So when I refer to to smiles, I usually talk about the emotion and I'm meaning a play face. Next. So this is, I know, data-filled slide, but again, two days to 30 days, Brazelton tests. How many times does the infant smile? The two groups of Yerkes, nursery-raised chimpanzees, smile quite a lot. One group of U.S. humans smiled moderately a lot. Um, And one group of nursery-raised chimpanzees and the mother-raised chimpanzees don't smile at all in response to the human examiner. It turns out that it's amount of positive social interaction that they've had with humans that explains this data set. Let's talk about another um, engagement state of mutual gaze. So in Western cultures, when we interact with three-month-olds, whether we're social partners, uh, mothers, fathers, or grandmothers, like in this case, grandmothers encourage lots of smiles and lots of mutual gaze. This happens to be my son with his two grandmothers. Next. But in other cultures, they don't actually encourage a lot of face-to-face interaction and don't encourage signs of joy, rather discourage signs of distress. But there is mutual gaze across all the human cultures um, studied so far. But there's also mutual gaze in chimpanzee infants with their biological mothers, about 10 times an hour at one month, two months, and three months at the Yerkes Center. But at the Primate Research Institute of Kyoto University, there's significantly more mutual gaze between infants and their mothers, especially at two and three months of age. What accounts for these differences? It looks like, again, cradling contact influences mutual gaze, but not the way we'd expect. It's actually inversely related. So here's an experimental study. Infants in the arms, relatively low amounts of face-to-face engagement. Infants put on the couch, become much more engaged face-to-face. So it's cross-cultural data, the chimpanzee group data, and this experimental data that suggests it's this inverse relationship. So mutual gaze is not human-specific either. The amounts, the levels that you see in both humans and in chimpanzees varies with cradling contact. Um, so in a study in collaboration with Dr. Babette Fontenant, this is Tiffany, a four-month-old chimpanzee at the New Iberia Research Center. I've just been um, showing the people how to do a peek-a-boo assessment. And I'm ready to move on, but Tiffany isn't ready for me to move on. She's smiling at me and engaging in lots of mutual gaze, encouraging me to play again. You look so much better, don't you? peek Yes, you do. Thanks. So the amount of mutual gaze is very dependent on the interactions that they've had, even very short amount of time. So in the four dyadic engagement states, none of them are human unique. Again, they vary with experiences of different sorts. Um, so we have to propose that there. are The mechanisms by which you get different levels of states across chimpanzees and humans are shared. There's nothing human unique about infant states in the first four months of life. The species share a responsivity in development such that the outcomes change as a function of these social experiences. Um, Of course, the social experiences of infant chimpanzees in the wild are very different from those encouraged by infants in Western cultures. So this is the last slide. Just to show you the infant uh, one-year-old. Doesn't happen too much in our Western homes that somebody comes charging through displaying. So I'm absolutely fascinated by the degree to which both these infant individual physiological engagement states And social engagement states vary as a function of social experiences. Lots of people to thank, but especially thank you for your attention.